But we're going into the book of Revelations. Revelation chapter 5 is where we're going to be at. It is a t- it's tough verses. So if you're a visitor, you'll live. If you're home, folks, there's a message here for you. Now let me give you a little heads up here. In the year 1930, Hadley's... Sudanese became the emperor of Ethiopia. A Christian ruler in, now he was the 111th emperor in the succession of King Solomon. Yet, now that's fact. He's got all the archaeological evidence. He is the 111th ruler of Ethiopia in the succession of King Solomon. Did that bit of trivia surprise you? Yes, King Solomon, um, Hadley Solani was 111th emperor in succession of the king. The kings and queens keep track of all that stuff. The record's been maintained down through the line. Who begot who and all this. Now, he is, upon assuming power of Ethiopia, this is 1930, Solani sought to modernize the nation. He built schools and universities. He established newspapers because they did not have a newspaper in Ethiopia. He expanded electricity and gave telephone service and increased public health services, which there were none. And then in October 1935, the Italian forces under the orders of Mussolini invaded Ethiopia. Sadni's forces were no match for the Italian army And in May 1936, he went into exile. He appeared before the League of Nations. The League of Nations came about after World War I and died after World War II. And in our modern time, we now have the United Nations doing all the same thing. And he appeared before them for help. And he said to the League of Nations, apart from the kingdom of the Lord... There is not any on this earth, any nation that is superior to any other. Then he went on to say, Should it happen that a strong government finds that it may with impunity destroy weak people, then the hour strikes that all the weak people who appeal to the League of Nations to give for judgment and freedom. The God of history will remember your judgment. That's what he told him. The God of history will remember your judgment. And the league did nothing to help them. They haven't changed any time at all. And for the next five years, Sudanese remained in Britain trying to garner support to free his country. One day, the British Field Marshal, Sir William Edmund Longside, what a name, right? That's him. Asked the Emperor Sudney what he was going to do now because nothing worked. And suddenly, who was known as the Lion of Judah, that's what his title was, said, there's always God. In a May 1941, Emperor Sadni's faith in the power of God was rewarded as he re-entered Ethiopia and remained emperor until 1974. But I know of another greater Lion of Judah. The one written about by John the Revelator. Now, today I'm going to read to you the entire fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. In its entirety, it's a short chapter. 
And it, it, yet it's such a majestic chapter. There's no convenient place to stop. Actually, we were in this chapter about nine, eight years ago, somewhere around there. I don't remember when. But it's just not a chapter you could stop in. So we're not stopping. Some hint sitting here to, today may not be aware that numbers and verses and chapters were added in the year 1277 by Archbishop of Canterbury, Leighton. He did a great job. He tried his very best to get them thing. But it makes it so much easier for us to be able to find where we're at in the Bible. So Revelation, and we're in the fifth chapter. I'm giving those who are looking it up in their Bible a chance to get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. But before we read it, we sitting here need to understand what happened before these verses. So I'm going to give me just a few minutes while the other ones are finding their Bible. I'm going to give you a quick overview of chapter 4 and the first chapters. Very honestly, the messages that are given to the seven churches in the first chapters are very easy and clear and everybody can read them. Chapter 1 through 3 is easy. It's tough, but it's easy. But chapter 4 can lose a couple people. True spiritual worship is perhaps one of the greatest needs in our individual lives and our churches. There's a constant emphasis today in the world about witnessing for Christ and working for Christ. But not enough is said about worshiping Him. To worship means to ascribe worth. It means to use all that we are and all we have to praise God for what He does for us and what He has done for us. Heaven is a place of worship. And God's people shall worship Him throughout all eternity. That's our only job when we get there. The key word in Revelation chapter 4 is throne. It's been used 14 times in this chapter alone, chapter 4. Now, that's actually the key verse in the whole book of Revelation. It's used um, 46 times in the book of Revelation. Throne. No matter what may happen on this earth, God is on the throne the throne, and is in complete control. Now, various teachers interpret Revelation in many different ways, but all agree, all honestly agree that the Apostle John is emphasizing the glory and the sovereignty of God. What an encouragement that should be to the suffering saints of John's day. And what encouragement should be to us sitting here today. The world around us is falling apart. Am I the only one who feels that way? I see heads looking at me scary. It's falling apart. Death, destruction, walk the highways and the byways of many countries, including ours, all across the globe. Sexual immorality, depravity run rampant, and we truly live in a dark, dark world. But our world does not like to think of God as a God of judgment. They prefer to look at the rainbow around the throne and ignore the lightning and the thunder out of the throne. Yes, he is certainly a God of grace. 
I am, we're all blessed by his grace. But God reigns through righteousness. Now, Romans chapter 5 verse 21 clearly tells us that. He reigns through righteousness. This was made clear at the cross where God manifested both his love for sinners and his wrath against sin. That's what the cross was. The Apostle John basically presents to you and me sitting here today that the heavenly sanctuary and the earthly temple are mirrors of each other. I might have just given you something to think about. The heavenly sanctuary and the earthly temple were mirrors of each other. And I'm, I'm going to make sense out of this. Well, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23, write it down in your notes later to check it out. And the parallels are as follows. The earthly temple, the heavenly sanctuary, the holy of holies, the throne of God, the seven-branch candlestick, the seven lamps before God and the throne. The bronze laver, the sea of glass, the cherubim over the mercy seat, the four living creatures around the throne. This side we have priests, this side we have elders. And you could all call them priests and kings. You have the brazen altar. You have the altar from Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 through 11. You have the incense altar. You have the incense altar, Revelation 8, 3 through 5. The Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. In the chapter, the five, in chapter 5, the focus of our attention now shifts from to a seven-sealed scroll in the Lord's hand, the hand of God himself, he's holding a scroll. The scroll could not be read because it was rolled up and sealed just like a Roman will. If That's a bit of trivia for you, with seven seals. That's how a Roman seal was, will was done, front and back and sealed up tight. John could see writing on both sides of the scroll, which meant nothing could be added to the scroll at all. It was written, complete, and final. Now we're going to go to Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. And I saw a lamb, looking as it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircling the, by four living creatures with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. 
And they were holding golden bowls filled with incense. And they are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God the persons of every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I look and heard a voice from many angels numbering thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that was in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I think... For the majority of Christians, the book of Revelation is one of the most neglected books in all the Bible. It has a message for every Christian today, and yet many never open its pages. The reason I imagine is because I've included the book of Revelation. They think the book of Revelation is not for them. That's why they don't open it. And many people's minds, it appears just too deep for them. They shrug their shoulders and say, well, I'm just an average Christian, you know, and I'm not sure, and I know what the book means. So they leave it up to scholars to interpret the symbols and figure out what to tell them. And instead of reading it for themselves, they buy a book to say what's going to happen at the last times, instead of reading what God wrote in the book. God caused the Apostle John to write the book for it to be a wall of encouragement and strength for the church in difficult times. And it can, it can be an encouragement and strength for us today if we'll read it and just see what God has to say. It is the only book in the Bible. Let me repeat it again. It is the only book in the Bible that says... Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written within it. Because the time is near and the words are found. That's Revelation 1.3. It doesn't say you understand it. It says you're blessed if you just read it. So leave out the scholar stuff. The more you read it, the more you figure out. My case in point in the chapter is that we've just read. I don't know anybody who can read it without feeling a sense of awe. There's something thrilling and exciting and amazing and just having a glimpse of heaven. There's the throne of God with almighty God himself sitting on it. And around him are elders and living creatures and in the right hand there's a scroll, a book sealed with seven seals. And the eyes of all who are there are fixed upon God and the scroll in his hand. And John looks upon the scene and the angel speaks with a loud voice. 
Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven on earth and under the earth was able to open the scroll. The apostle John wept. He wept because no one was around the throne at that moment was found worthy. Behind those seals were the mysteries of the future and the answers to all the questions of actually life itself. And yet no one was able to open the book. So John said, I wept. Then one of the elders spoke to John, Do not weep. See, there is one who is able to open the scroll and and it's seven seals. That's verse 5. John saw the one. As a lamb that had been slain, stepping forth, holding open the scroll, and broke break its seals. And at this, there was great rejoicing in heaven. Can you imagine the rejoicing that went on at that moment? They all gathered around the throne and sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God from every tribe, the language and people of the nation. That means he purchased us. Now you do not have to be a theologian or a Bible scholar to understand that Jesus is the lamb that was slain and everything depends on him. He's the only one able to break the seals and reveal the secrets in there. He is able and he is worthy of all our worship. When we realize this, then we'll understand what what a great deal the book of Revelation is. And what it has to say to us. Now, in my opinion... I believe that the mysteries hidden behind those seals are basically the prophecies and things that were to come in the past in the history of the church and its battles against Satan and its forces. you got people all over the ballpark. There's some crazy people out there. No, there are. Just watch television. But at the same time, at the same time, I think we ought to realize there's some things that need to be sealed up beyond our understanding. God says no man knows the time. We don't need to know the time. He's coming soon. That's good enough for me. And if it were not for Jesus, the Lamb who went to the cross to die for our sins, if it were not for Jesus, there'd be at least four areas that would make no sense to us at all. Actually, at all. So I'm going to start with. What would not make sense to us if Jesus did not go to the cross? I'm going to stretch your understanding here. Bear with me now. First of all, the Bible. God's holy word would be impossible for us to understand sitting here today if it were not seen in the light of what happened on Calvary. I'll make sense of this. It's a major statement. But hear it all out before you have a heart attack or a stroke or something like that. Okay, hear it all out. We begin to read Genesis and read every word in every book all the way through Malachi without the knowledge of Jesus, I suggest that the Old Testament would mean very little to us now. We're not bound under those old laws. We're not doing the old sacrifices. It would mean very little to us. In fact, I'll go a step farther. 
Let's see. If it were not for Jesus, the Old Testament would virtually be a forgotten book. It would might be consulted by a few for its literary value and its poetry, and might, but for the large part, most it'd be unread and would be it'd be ignored because it's. Only real meaning is to impact our lives sitting today is in the light of what happened at the cross. Now I say with all respect and reverence, I do not believe even the Jewish people of today understand the Old Testament. I'll make sense of this. Because they live by the first books of the Bible. They can read and say, yes, they're inspiring stories. And they can say there are great prophecies there. And they can say there's great examples of faith there. But apart from Jesus, the Old Testament does not really mean much to us today. We're in a totally different world. Everything in the Old Testament hinges on him. Now, this is a Passover meal. The Jewish people celebrate it every year. Some of you have done the Jews for Jesus and we've done the Passover meal here. Every element of the dinner points to Jesus. And as soon as I get them scheduled in here again, we get them every time we can get them. I'm going to draw you to the center. There's three pieces of matzah bread. Matzah bread is made without yeast, the same bread they would eat coming out of Exodus. The center bread is taken out, broken in half, and then hid and they hide it, and then the kids have to go find it later. It's hidden somewhere in the house, just like Jesus went in the tomb. Everything about the meal. If you want to check me out, please do. It, there's plenty of YouTubes. Um, Jesus, um, Jews, Jews for Jesus is the best site to go to, and you'll get, you can watch a whole hour Passover meal, and every, from the bitter herbs to the salt water to the, to the apples with Spice on it, it all points to Jesus. And they, the Jewish people do it every year, and they don't believe the Messiah's come. They're proclaiming him in the dinner. So, that's why I say even they don't understand all the Old Testament. Yet the lamb that was slain broke the seal of the Bible. And now we can understand some of its great truths. Here in the pages of the Old Testament are prophecies fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The emblems and the sacrifices and the animals offered on the the altar have meaning because of his sacrifice. We now understand the meaning of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle and the temple. And we understand the meaning of the virgin birth in Bethlehem and the purpose and the miracles and the healings and the resurrection from the dead. All the great acts of Jesus all have meaning and purpose because of the cross. The agony of Gethsemane and the trial that lasted all night long, which was an illegal trial to have at night. They all have meaning and purpose. And the weary body of Jesus collapsing under the weight of the cross and the nails penetrating his flesh all have meaning and purpose. They all come into focus when you look at the light of the lamb that was slain, but who was victorious over death for all eternity. So Jesus, the lamb of God, 
With nail-pierced hands breaks the seal. Uh, and the New Testament becomes the word of life itself. Now, here's another thing that would not make sense to us. In some ways, nature... Oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. Nature is a mystery to us. It's a paradox. There's one side of nature that's good and positive, and another side that is terrible. There's the beautiful part of nature. The love, the balmy trees, the green grass, the the blooming flowers, the blue skies, the clouds, the warmth, even the gentle rain and the falling snow. But on the other hand, there's something terrible about nature. Snow. Ice. The wind-blown floods that came and take life and claim property. And how can we, we think, and we're honest, we think, how can God sanction the floods and all that happens? But there's meaning and purpose and direction behind everything in the world of nature. And as we look at nature, we realize there must we must die before we can live again. And because of his death, we have the promise of life. And we can look beyond the violent storms and see the glory of the resurrection. It gives us hope and we can comfort one another. Now, I, I love history. You know I love history. I, I, I'm a history nut in archaeology, right? But even history itself is beyond man's understanding on his own power. I think of, it's because what the, think of the Apostle John beginning to weep. As John looked at the scroll, he must have thought about what was happening to Christians all around him. We don't think of it sitting here, but think of what he, he, remember he was exiled to the island of Patmos. He knew that the church on the mainland was under constant persecution. John must have seen hundreds of Christians marched into the arena and torn apart by wild lions and other beasts. And he must have seen his loved ones and his friends coated with pitches and tar and they were lit around the arena for night games. They made human torches out of the Christians. He must have seen children pulled from their mothers and husbands and wives separated. He experienced it all and the tears and their brokenness and their pain. And John must have wondered, why are things happening the way they are? We face the same problem. When we pick up our newspapers, anybody still read a newspaper? Okay, when you do it on your phone, right? And read of people dying on the streets and we wonder, why does it happen? We read about fentanyl overdoses. We wonder why. We wire people hungry and poor. Why are people greedy and vindictive? Why does such evil exist? It is not until the terribleness of sin and Satan's hatred and envy, until we see that, we'll never begin to understand what's going on. Cruelty, suffering, pain are there because of sin. But upon the cross, Jesus paid the price for us to be free from our sins. 
Beyond that, there's the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ that says to us here, there is more than what is here on the face of this earth. We have the hope beyond of what the world has to offer. So the lamb that was slain becomes and breaks the seal of history. Now, now I got a final mystery because I've run out of time. You know, I could give you lots more mysteries. The mystery of life itself. Now, I, I want to get personal for a moment. Because I was told a long time ago, I don't remember who told it to me, but I remember what he said. Or maybe she said. Remember that when you stand to preach, there is at least one broken heart in every pew. And I, with all going on around us, I think there's probably more than just one broken heart in every pew today. We put smiles on it. We wear our Sunday best, right? And we try to pretend everything's all right. My favorite word is peachy. Any of you got a, a word that you like to use when... I, don't I say peachy a lot? If you call me, how's you doing, peachy? We try to pretend everything's all right. But just sit down and talk with somebody. And before too long, problems, concerns, and pains come out. It doesn't make any difference who we are or how successful they might seem to be. We all have our problems and our pain. Maybe it's a problem of at home between husband and wife. Or you feel like you can't talk to anybody about it because you're not supposed to have problems at home. Or maybe you're worrying about your children. Maybe you're, they're not growing up the way that you'd hoped they'd grow. Maybe they're not following the direction you hoped they'd follow. And oh, and there's financial problems, right? The money's disappearing quicker out of bank accounts than you can count, right? You know, you, you hope you can see your way through them. All these burdens become heavier and heavier each passing day. Maybe you're experiencing spiritual difficulties. I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you don't read your Bible and your prayer life's almost non-existent. You just don't feel close to God anymore. We have these problems. And we ask ourselves, why do we have these problems? Why do we have these worries? Can we have just have a life that's without any troubles come our way? Any of you ever just wanted a life with no trouble at all? Okay, a couple of you were honest. Everyone's looking at me like, no, you're getting too personal. Yeah, we've always, God, why is this happening? I've had that conversation with him several times. I remember once he told me, you're going to preach someday. I'm getting sidebars, bear with me. I actually heard an audible voice. I turned around and said, oh, no, I'm not. I, Gillette, Wyoming, I did. Yes, uh-huh, I was talking to somebody. I argued with him for a while. He won. We all have problems. Jesus can help us understand. The Lamb who is slain can show us the meaning and purpose in life's direction. He shows us the light at the end of the tunnel. He gives us hope when in a world that cannot offer and the resurrection and the life eternal, the, He changes everything. 
Right now, we do not see things the way God sees them. We can only see through the darkly stained glass of, by the smoke of this world. But one day, we'll see God, it all as God sees it. And we'll understand what God understands. There's something else that needs to be said. There is another scroll in the book, book of Revelation. It's called the Book of Life. On the day of judgment, the seal of that book will be broken, open. And when it's open, the only thing that will matter is whether or not your name's written in that book or not. It won't matter how much money you made. It won't matter what you did here while on this earth. It won't matter what kind of car you drove or how many you drove. It won't matter how successful your marriage is or your occupation or anything else like that. The only thing that will really matter is your name's in that book. So it's my great privilege to tell you that the Lamb who's saying stands before all with nail-pierced hands, inviting all to come to have their name written in the book. It's his invitation to you and to all the world. And my hope is that you honestly, carefully respond. And that we pray for our nephews, our nieces, our grandchildren, our children, so that they'll respond. Now, the book of Revelation is actually simpler to understand than man has made it. We all want to know when the time, when he's returning, right? Oh, no, no, that, that would be nice to know. It don't matter. We know there's heaven. And because there's heaven, I could put up with all this world throws at me. Now, some of you have had more thrown at you than others, right? Uh, but I don't see anybody here without at least one scar or two from the world, right? I promise you the person sitting next to you in the pew has not had a perfect life. I promise you they've had troubles and tribulations and trials to overcome. And they did it. See, we do things as a family. We didn't tell you to clap when Flo outgrew her classroom. You just clapped. She outgrew her classroom. That's a good thing. Somebody put it with three girls in their house that wasn't their grandchild so that they could bring them to Sunday school and they had to pay attention to three girls sisters who all want to know if they all look better than the other ones. Or, you know, those type stories. And they're downstairs in the kids' class right now. We're not talking three here. We're talking downstairs. they got kids running around. How many of you are going to take three extra kids up this morning? Then they got to feed them. McDonald's is my answer. God gave us the book of Revelation not to scare us, but to give us hope. To let us know that we, in whatever we're going through, we will survive it. Revelation is not scary. And it is the only book that says, if you'll just read it, you will be blessed. No other book claims that. God's blood tells you he wants you to read it. You don't have to understand it all. They have great books that can help you. 
But it all matters that Christ is on, can open the scroll. Because he can, we don't have to worry about life. Any of you got, figuring you're getting closer to the end than the beginning? See, you cannot tell if I have any gray hair. I wonder if I would. They only come in white now, so I'm assuming I'd have gray hair, right? Some of you can't tell, don't know. Some of you have some gray. I promise you, the battle is worth it. Now, we need to close because the kids are going to come running up. They're going to be sharing, they'll be happy and they'll be running for cookies and goodies, right? A church does not have children, it's a dying church. They can run once in a while. They can have fun. Because they're hearing a a godly message downstairs. And hopefully you've heard one. So let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lamb of God. We thank you that he is worthy to break the seals. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. We thank you for the empty tomb. Father, this world around us is crazy. It's in turmoil and anguish. And we are in this world. But we're not of this world. We thank you for the blessing of that simple fact. Now guide us and direct us to pray for those in our family who do not know you. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.